Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. And this is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out that war never changes. Yeah, it's still hell. But it does. <laughs> that's, a, that's a line from Fallout. Uh, it's been in, every, I think, every single uh, version of Fallout from 1 to New Vegas Four and then 76, but the truth of the matter is that war changes a lot, especially on the fringe paths, which is where we're going to be going. This episode is another fringe-worthy episode, and we're talking about what it's like to actually wage war on the fringe paths. Jonathan, all right, let me ask you this. What's it like, you know, when you go ahead and set off explosions on the fringe path, like a grenade or something like that, or let's say a really big bomb, okay, what happens? Assuming that it's like you're putting it right at the center of the platform and there's nobody transiting nearby to get hurt, right? Sure, let's say that. Well, I mean, if I remember correctly, if it's a big enough explosion, um, you kind of punch a hole through that... um, whatever little compressive field is holding that planet that is the platform together. And you kind of get a peek of this whirling vortex, which it, it can crack. You can, you can basically fracture the surface. Yeah. But I'm talking about people, you know, the people are there on the platform. Are they all going to die? Well, they do fracture rather easily than the French platform, so I would think, yeah. Yeah, if it's a big enough bomb, yeah. Yeah. Well, look at it this way. If someone rolled a big bomb through the platform and down the ramp, and you were a defender on the platform, what would you do? Dive through another portal. (laughs) I mean, yeah, that's the first option if it's it's available. That's one solution? Yeah, yeah. The, be- the best way to uh, the best way to be damaged by an explosion is not be around the explosion. Yeah. Oh, if I can jump to the other side, if I can flip down um, through the zero gravity to the opposite side of the platform. Okay, because so, it's only four foot. It's only four foot wide, right? Okay, so you flip around the bottom side, and that's going to be pretty. That should get, provide you a lot of a lot of protection, right? It shouldn't. I mean, I mean, obviously, shrapnel's not going to hit you, right? Well, yeah, oh, and no. concussive force won't. Yeah. Well, there might be some, but it's it's yeah, because there's still air. So yeah, you. Well, might I mean, if you're if wave. you're well, 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 if you're on entirely the underside of the fringe platform, and because there is a gravity plane underneath, you're basically just crawling over an object and underneath it. If you're totally underneath the lip of that fringe platform. An explosion on top ain't gonna affect you at all, unless for some reason. Excuse me. Oh my. Unless that explosion. 
Well, even if it cracks the platform, it's just the whirling vortex. It's not going to hit you underneath. The overpressure could hurt you because, you know, if you're on a battleship and they fire off those 16-inch guns and you're standing behind, you know, the conning tower, it'll still kill you because of the overpressure. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, because there is still that continuous path the air can follow to get to you, and that air pressure is what's going to hurt you. Right, but what makes a difference? Ooh. I would say making it through the portal, let's say if somebody rolls that Ooh. bomb out through one portal, you roll through another portal, the concussive force of that explosion is going to stop at the interface. Oh, yeah. No, there's no doubt of that. If you get through a portal, you're, you're fine. Yeah. But I'm just saying is, is that if you're on the platform and someone basically does that, let's say you're on the other side of the platform but not real close to the edge, so you can't jump through a portal and you can't jump to somewhere else, What's going to happen? You're probably going to suck some explosion You're then. You're going to get tossed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get tossed. Well, you might, but what's but what are the factors here, right? How how does how does the platform react to the explosion? See, that's why I'm kind of I don't know. Okay. The platform is non-reactive. It basically it does not reflect kinetic energy. Right. Okay. Yeah, an explosion is not going to like hit explode. Basically, you know, I mean, the explosion itself, the force of the explosion will push air. It'll throw shrapnel, but there won't be any reflection. It won't concentrate it and send it out on a horizontal plane like it might. You know, if you're, if anything, it absorbs it. Right. It'll be almost as if it had exploded in midair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there's. Yeah, there's no rebounding effect, is what I'm trying to say, from going off on the platform. So if you can get down behind any kind of a barrier, uh, unless the barrier literally gets hurled into you or something like that, you're probably going to, you know, it, unless it's really big, like I said, there's so much overpressure that it just kills you, okay? Most explosions, are you're going to be pretty safe So uh, because of that. So... Like I said, those concrete barriers we talked about, you know, you can hunker down behind one of them. Big explosions like that won't even affect you. They'll they'll be limited to basically the area in which they go off. You might have a little ringing in your ears, but yeah, yeah, it, it's I'm I'm seeing this playing this out via the the OGO rule set. Like one of those concrete barriers, if you're completely behind it. You would gain a cover bonus to armor class. And if you don't have evasion, you might take half damage from some kinetic energy. So let's say it's a 40-point a a explosion. You'll take 20 points of damage, but it's just concussive force, and you're, you're fine. At most, you might get knocked out. Um, of course, if you have evasion or improved evasion, you're fine. But yeah, the, the concrete, it would depend on the rule set. If you're behind that concrete barrier, you'll suffer a lessened effect because, you know, concrete, those barriers, you know, like if you're in Detroit, as all of you know, I'm from the Detroit area. We have two seasons, winter and construction. I see these concrete barriers all the damn time. They're pretty thick. If you hide behind one of those, I'm pretty sure that an explosion short of like a mini nuke, you're going to be fine. 
you might get your ears rung at the most and, you know, be stumbling to your feet, but you're not going to suffer any major damage. These concrete barriers are at their base. God, two, three feet thick of concrete and possibly reinforced with a seal. So, yeah, you you hide behind one of those concrete barriers and somebody rolls a bomb out. You should be fine. There might be a ringing of the chimes at most, but you'll survive. Barry, yeah. Right. So you want to basically use a lot of these things. You know, the French path, is, you know, doesn't move them very easily, you know, the system. Um, and so if you leave these things scattered around with enough space between them that you can drive vehicles and do stuff like that, then you've essentially given yourself some pretty effective cover on something that's essentially a big, flat, open plane that otherwise would provide you with zero cover. And you can scatter, the, and they're cheap to make, and you can scatter these things all over the 600-foot-wide platform. Because you you know full well that, like, okay, how can I put this? Platforms that are spoken for, such as the Victorian, the Earth Prime, maybe the Golden Hordes platform, the Norlanders, the Erders, <laughs> and, you, and you know IDET would sit there and say, oh, yeah, you want to protect your platforms? We've got these big... And, I mean, to some of them, you'd have to explain the concept of concrete. Okay, we could shape rock, and there's metal inside. Put these around your platforms that you can hide in case people come at you with guns. You can duck behind them, and you'll be fine. And they provide you covers to shoot from. Yeah, cover to shoot from. Yeah, exactly. And, well, even a Golden Hordesman with, you know, a bow or a crossbow can still jump up, fire a shot, and duck behind that. Teaching teaching these client or yeah client worlds how to build it is not hard because I mean we've had concrete since for the Roman era, if not before. So, well, you know it doesn't have to be that. I mean, if you're the Norlanders, you could just send through a big pine tree. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Putting well, 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 concrete is a lot more durable than wood. I mean, if the Norlanders put up just massive like chunks of redwood log there. Yeah, they'll be... They just might have them available next to the portal, is all I'm saying. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, as far as... <laughs> damn it. But, but as far as... See, well, because remember, we have determined that in the whole new Commonwealth, the Earth Primers are the tech big boys on the block. And relatively, those concrete barriers would be easy for Earth Prime to make. Throw them on a mm -hmm. truck drop them off at all these various portals, and just say, yeah, here you go. You want your your portal access blocked? You have just enough room for a truck to go through. Other than that, it's stuff you guys can hide behind when people come knocking at, you know, rolling up to the club and they're wanting to start trouble. Yeah, and, and you know it's going to really P.O. the, 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 the uh, fringe pirates, right? They come driving through in their big, you know, personnel carriers and stuff like that and they got this maze of concrete you know uh dividers all over the place blocking their way well i mean they're they're gonna i i, I don't think most of the new commonwealth people are going to have where they're turning it into a maze. they're still gonna allow traverse through you know between the all platforms they're just gonna protect their portals yeah but you will still know that, that that when you're rolling through if I'm a French traveler and I'm rolling down, you know, the French paths, 
and I come upon an alt platform and I see these, you know, concrete road barriers, I'm going to assume that there is somebody relatively modern level era that is looking to protect their portal. And they're actively exploring because there's no way to do it otherwise. Yep, 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 exactly. Yeah. That Okay, you can look and go, okay, these guys have a fringe culture. They may just be basic explorers, but they're looking to protect what's theirs because they know stuff can come through onto their world, and there are probably guards hidden behind those barriers. Yeah, so, I mean, that's going to change the tactics of whoever's trying to attack that portal and do all this stuff, knowing that, because I don't know how, okay, we know that there are the, on, let's say on a prime platform, there's the 154 platform at 6 o'clock, and then the eight portals at 1 and 2, 4 and 5, 7 and 8, 10 and 11 o'clock. Depending on how many portals that they have access to, the layout of those concrete barriers could be different. They could have just a line of concrete barriers stretching from just below, just, okay, we'll say south, the 12 o'clock position is north. Um, the 10 o'clock and the 2 o'clock, and they'll just have a line of these with a space open enough for one truck, let's say maybe 8 feet apart. And you, you're going to know, okay, that, those four portals are protected by whoever's on that prime platform. So tactics are going to have to come into play for these people who are wanting to try to attack and get through and all that. I'm just saying that's going to come into play and let's say you're a, um, an IDEC coming through and, okay, we're going to check out this world. These concrete barriers are, depending on what portals they have access to, it's going to show, okay, what level, or even just a, a massive redwood. They managed to get a beast of burden and they dragged them through. Because I'm sure as long as you are riding a horse, and you got the harness and they're dragging this wood through, that horse is fringe-worthy. So they can drag massive chunks of wood or stone onto the platform to do this. It could be just a barricade of just boulders. But you could tell, okay, you, you could gain some recon from what they're doing and what they have up as a barricade. That, that I guess that's just the point I'm trying to get across here. Yeah. So I, I'm seeing these still the, these concrete road barriers. That would have, and and I mean these concrete road barriers. Let's see, we've had them now 20, 30 years. How they partitioned off roads of you know more like fifty years. Yeah. Okay, yeah. fine, but still oh, wow. decades. You know, anywhere from the mid mid twentieth century on, that's going to help you gauge. Okay, if they got these type of concrete barriers. We know what, I mean, it will just help as far as if you're trying to get to that world, it's going to help you do tactically how to deal with these people. But see, what you've also done by doing this is you've recreated trench warfare. Oh, yeah, like World War One and the No Man's Lands and all that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you basically create these probably concentric or whatever pattern you've done of barriers that they can be on one side and you're on the other side, and you could end up lobbing grenades at each other or firing over them or whatever you have. But the point is, is that they provide you with a cover that isn't naturally there unless you bring it. Now, there is a way of defeating that cover. 
Do you guys know how to deal, how to defeat it? Well, if you get into the zero G, you just step off the platform and go zero G above them. And get that angle above. Yeah, I, I was trying to think. Yeah. Air, something aerial, and yeah, I, I, Jonathan just beat me to it. Yeah. Before the D twenty edition, I mean, we and we basically talked about this gravity shear and how it would change the air. There was a ninety foot high bubble of air around the the platforms, um, and it basically just came down, and the edge of the platform was, well. It went all the way out to the edge of the uh, the the six. Was it like it's like uh, ninety foot or se- I can't remember now. The seventy foot out from the edge of the platform, there was air, but no gravity, and then there was no air. Yeah, I'd have to look that up. Yeah, but the point was that there was a bubble. Okay, so therefore, if you could get above that bubble, not only was there the air went up that high, but also the gravity went up that high. On the platform, there was a there was another gravity shear that was over the platform. So once you went up ninety feet, there was no gravity. So you could theoretically have a floating platform up there with people stationed on it. And if worse came to worse, they could just rain death from above down on that platform. They could just they could literally roll bombs off of it and stuff like that, and it just could fall down and boo. You know, you, you just give them a little push because it's no zero gravity, and you just float up there. You know, I mean, because you know, I mean, uh, now of course it's, it, it gravity goes up like it normally would, so uh, you're going to be in that zero g air area, and you have to be you're going to have to have some kind of methodology where you actually have some maneuverability in there, so you don't accidentally float outside the air area into the into the the the, the uh, vacuum or you don't come inside the area and tip down and crash down onto the platform so you got to have something going on there and and there's lots of ways of doing it I'm not going to go into that but you know it's uh it could be you, you could literally just you know have a zero g engine that just runs and provides motive power that you someone just sits there and steers it you know to where it needs to be and then that's your fire platform you just basically at this point you're now firing down on the spaces behind and so your fire you know hurts the bad guys and all those concrete barriers we talk about contain the damage so the explosions and whatever don't affect your your uh, friendly uh troops yeah so it can be very very effective and you can have them like I say situated multiple places around the platform because you know the you know that zero that zero g area is all the way around the platform so you can defeat those defenses by doing that which means that if again they're fringe aware they might want to and they and they know you're doing this they might come through with a plan to attack those platforms first because if they can take over those platforms then they can run roll holy hell down yeah. on the defenders this this helps just remind me that, that the, the, the fringe pass as we know them were not the main system because you can tell they are not made for more than a, a handful of people to be on them at a time because they are well, not yeah remember they were the they're not made they were, they were the yeah, maintenance always yeah that's what I'm saying. It just this helps remind me that further because there's obviously no expectation that there would be pitched battles on these fringe bats. We believe that there were pitched battles. Is one of the reasons why some of the defenses are there is to prevent them from happening. Yeah, and it's also why there's a fringe worthy filter. You know, the one thing we talked about was the number one 
issue with fringe warfare is it's hard to have enough people to do it. I mean, you literally have to have a big fringe culture in order to have enough people to have people to expend as soldiers in a combat. Because we, and, and again, ages ago, folks, you'll remember old episodes from five, six, seven years ago. John Ryer actually sat down and did the damn math for, okay, if you have one out of 100,000 people who are fringe-worthy, on a on a, a a a population, let's say we use Earth, we got hell damn near seven and a half billion people now. That's seventy thousand people. Fine, flat figure. Fine. Now you got to remember, out of all the people, out of those seventy thousand, you got to take the ones that are too young, too old, too infirm, injured. They have some type of mental condition where they're not... That number's going to shrink down... And John, as I said, he did the math. The man had some free time. You're going to have... We love John dearly. We're not bad-mouthing him, but I'm just saying, he plotted this stuff out. You're going to have... Oh, yes, well, you have a fringe culture and 7 billion. That's 70,000. Oh, my God. 70,000 people to defend a fringe platform? It gets whittled down by all the mitigating factors of age, infirmity, physical and mental status. And that assumes you find them all. Yeah, exactly. And just the fact that yeah, yeah, you're not yeah, you're not going to get you every have single to have, person. You either have to ta- have take them through a portal or have a crystal key. Exactly. So you have, yeah, you're they don't going have, to have any have, flashing sign over their head. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they don't have that that PC over their head like they, <laughs> like in a role playing game. <laughs> okay, Bruce, let's let's just throw this out here. What do you think? Because I don't remember John's exact ratio. Excuse me. What do you think would be a decent percentage of seven thousand that would be there to defend that that platform? Well, I estimated that there uh, that there would be. If it was seven billion people, you effectively have seven thousand fringeworthy that would that would be available, but not necessarily all frontline troopers, of course. So ten percent of your full fringeworthy population, right? At most. Okay. All right. No, ten percent. No, no, no. Ten percent. No. That that that's. That's actually a decent figure. I was going to go a little higher, but okay, we'll set it with 10%. And yeah. just, yeah, and there are some people have... who are just not combat trained. Or they're off-world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, Jonathan, yeah. And then there's also the fact that IDET is a volunteer organization. It's not like the Coptics who will, or the French Pirates Conscript who will... Conscript Force, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Golden Horde. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> They have a lot of attrition in their training. Yeah, the yeah the Golden Horde, if you aren't up to snuff, yeah, if you're French, whether you're not, they're just going to say, no, you're not going through. No glory for the Emperor if you go through. For the con, yeah. By the way, if you want to play Golden Horde, just putting this out here, watch Netflix's uh, Marco Polo. You'll get a real good primer on how to play those. Anyways... Um, yeah, I mean, so you're going to have a very small population who are going to be able to defend that. You're not going to see very big garrisons 
defending prime platforms and whatnot just because of the fact that only one in 100,000 is fringe-worthy, and it seems by convention of the game that most of the universally fringe-worthy populations, like the Blizzness, are not combatants. And and if and if you if you had a war like that, where let's say you had you were able to muster five one thousand frontline troops, and they went out there and they had a war, and let's say that half of them died, okay, you it's it's going to be a generation before you get those people back. And who's to guarantee that you're going to get all five hundred back in a generation? It may take one or two. Yeah, so I'm just saying that, you know, you might be able to fight that battle once, but how, you know, what kind of sustainable... Yeah, exactly. ...you know, uh, uh, fighting force can you maintain? That's a big question. See, that's why a lot of times, and especially post-Mellor War, you know, that thousand-year stretch, they didn't do anything with the platforms, but you came through that platform and you saw, oh, crap, there's a wall around the platform and we see these... If we try to get near, they're going to dump, you know, either hot tar, Greek fire, or napalm on us, or whatnot. Yeah, no, they built up outside of the portal on the planetary side. Just because, you know, the relative small... And they may have remembered from the days of the war, okay, it's a small percentage of the population that we can send through that portal. We're just going to blockade them here. We're going to pen them in like animals and then just fish in apparel. So, yeah, it's easier to defend on the planetary side of a platform anyways. Oh, yeah, you've got all the people there. A lot more people, yeah. Yeah. That's why it was so hard when they said you've got to keep these people from coming onto the alternate platform and continuing toward Earth Prime uh, with the Coptics because they had, to learn, they had to defend the platform from the French Pass. Yeah. Not from a world. I mean, on the world side, it was it, it was relatively easy once you got rid of their defenders because the Coptics came through and immediately started gaining allies around them and they built up a fighting force to defend the portal. And they didn't have to do the defending. They were the leaders. They provided weapons and all this stuff. It was the people, the natives, who were the fighting force that the friends really had to contend with there. Oh no! If you if you've got if you've got thousands, tens of thousands of people to defend a position, let's say let's say around this portal they build a fort, and they have it partitioned in, and you go through that portal and you realize, okay, I'm in a courtyard of a castle and I'm seeing soldiers everywhere. Yeah, this is going to be a real short battle and it's going to be short for us. Hey, look, it's time for us to go. Yeah, you have the home court advantage. If you're going every time, every, yeah, every time you go through, and, and, and if you have, like, barricades on the alt platform or even on the prime platform, you probably know if they are a tactically sound people, they're not just going to have their defenses on the platform be done with it. No, they're going to have even stronger defenses on the planet itself because they have billions of people to draw from. I think if if any fr at least fringe pirates come along and find these like you know barricades on the fringe pa uh, portal on the platform itself their tactics are going to immediately change even if there's nobody actively manning those defenses they're going to know okay these people are aware if we really want to raid this world we can't do it with force we got to use stealth 
we've got to use trickery. We've got to become con men. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Well, I mean, most fringe pirate, most fringe pirates, I mean, they, 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 they have lasted that long because they're not stupid. If you see barricades on an alt platform, it's not. A lot of fringe pirates go for the easy picking. If they're seeing that mm-hmm. crap, there's no pro- there's no profit in war except for the people that make the weapons. Exactly. Yeah, you're. They're going to look at this and go, "Okay, we're passing this world because we see they are they're an active fringe culture. They know of the paths." And the further we get past those barricades, the tougher our battle's going to be. Hey, look, there's the there's the, the the fringe portal to the next pathway. We're out of here. Oh, We're going to find oh, it yeah. easier. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all of them will just inherently switch past by those. Some of them that feel confident will switch to a con artist stance. Yeah, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll they won't go stance. the route of they won't go the route of conqueror. They'll go the art of yeah, a con man. Yeah. And hey, I got this bridge over here on this alt I want to sell you. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I like that. Yeah. It's a bag it's a bag of beans. <laughs> uh these are these are terminal um uh brain enhancers. Yeah, you just take two of these every morning. <laughs> Those are actually valuable. It's a magic bag of beans. Open it up, it's got these little these little pea-sized objects inside of it. What do you do with them? It's like you just stick it in your ear. <laughs> You have two to demonstrate and 20 more to just be regular glass. And you say, here you go. That'll be um, all your uranium. Uh, you're uh, you're w- way too clever for me, Jonathan. Well, no, you're all your gold. Yes, you you, you, you have the soul of a con man. <laughs> uh, oh. if, 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 you, if you ever met my mother and brother, you would understand. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. So let me up the stakes a little here. A 20-foot-wide Buster Bunker bomb rolls through the portal and onto the, onto the platform. The overpressure from this is going to be, you know, legendary. All right? You see this. What do you do? Dive behind a nearby portal or even behind a portal you'll get covered. Well, other than go through a portal, obviously, if you can go through... No, 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 not through, not through. Around the back. You don't have to go through the portal. You can just go around the back because that interface will absorb. The interface and the ramp will absorb. You'll have full cover. Yeah, but the overpressure is still going to kill you. Even if you go on the underside of the platform, it's going to kill you. It's oh, that heck, big a bomb. If it's doing that, it... If it's doing that, it's going to crack the port, the platform surface. If it's that, it might do that. It's not. It's going to not crack it. It's not going to destroy it. But basically, the environment on top of this platform is going to be not good. <laughs> then your only choice Don't would be to get get more. through. Yeah. Well, then your only choice would be to dive through a platform onto a wall. There's another choice. Mm. I think the only other thing I can think is, is hope you've got enough time to push that thing off the platform into the interface. Yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about, and you're close. Okay. All right. You run as fast as you can, and you throw yourself off the portal, off the platform. Oh, hell no. <laughs> so you float through the air, through the, through the, the air, okay, and then you get to the zero... To, to the no atmosphere. 
Okay? Now, once you get to the no atmosphere, it's, you know, it's still space, okay? It's still like livable space. If you're in an environmental suit, it will prov- it acts as a light vac suit. You can survive there. Okay? And yeah. assuming you have some kind of device that can provide you with some kind of kinetic energy to to stop your forward motion before you hit that that uh, you know that matter energy interface 90 feet away, okay? You can you you can arrest your motion and survive because when that explosion happens and that wall of flame and air is supercharged pressure and all that stuff comes out and hits that air interface, what's going to happen? It's just going to bounce right up. It's just a stop. Yeah, it's going to go up or something, but it's not going to go through it because there's if it, if if it's keeping the air in, it's going to keep the air in no matter what. Unless, of course, the UG, the GM decides it's going to spread out if that happens. But I would say no. I would say that basically you're safe. There's no air over here. There's nothing to propagate the explosion. Possibly you could still get killed with shrapnel. You know, I don't think that kind of explosion cares about shrapnel that much. But I don't know. Yeah, whatever. You, you might get some thermal energy through that. You might. Well, you know, environmental suits also protect you thermal energy. I'm just saying is if you can't get through a portal, that's your that's your last ditch, you know, call right there. And then once it's over, you know, once the explosion finishes, and you know, then uh, the uh, then you can basically fire your gun, continue firing your gun, pushing you back toward the error face. You get inside and slowly float your way over to the platform, where. You will probably not, you know, be meeting your uh, uh, your conquerors because there won't be yeah. anybody on the platform to stop you, and that kind of explosion would probably push all of those uh, concrete emplacements uh, off the platform. Oh yeah, it'd be nice and clean up there, except for the big huge crack, as you as we put it, yeah. uh, that might yeah. be going on. That was a tanker truck full of uh, uh, nitroglycerin they set off on top of the platform to cause that crack. Well, I don't know. Let let and we're going to bring this up. This is a term we've not used for a while and it's and it it's it's a concept that Bruce uses and then I just add the term. The patented Bruce Sheffer fuel air explosive. Would that if if you made one big enough, could one of those crack the platform? I would say no because it's it's well, yes. Yeah, because it's a huge uh, I don't I I would say Probably not because I think that uh, the energy density of, of nitroglycerin in a you know, singular location is probably higher than that is. But it's a, it's a heck of an explosion. It would definitely uh, uh, it would it's, it's it's supposed to be a non-tactical nuke. So you know so basically everything but the uh, uh, the radiation uh, the nuclear radiation gets produced by this the blast the overpressure the heat. So heat, light, force, concussion. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that would probably blow away concrete barriers too. It just wouldn't crack the platform. Okay. Oh no, no, Jonathan. We heard early on stories of Bruce in his campaigns using these fuel air explosives, just like rolling them onto worlds and just taking out everything on the other side. You know, just yeah. So I was wondering about Happy that. Fun time. 
And the only reason not to do it is if you actually have something to defend on the other side that you want to keep. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I was, if I was you know, uh, on the side of the of the Greeks and, and we were going to Troy and we were going to push a, uh, a large uh, offering that looked like a giant horse, I know what I would put inside it. It wouldn't be a bunch of soldiers. Oh. <laughs> No, 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 no. They were trying to rescue uh, uh, the queen, so uh, they're trying to rescue it's Helen. So the, a few air bomb would probably kill Helen too. So they probably wouldn't go that route. But uh, if if after you know, but you could always have it in the in the thing. And after the soldiers got out and res- rescued Helen and got away, then you could <laughs> then you could deliver it. You know, to to basically remove. Tr- a parting gift, yeah. Troy basically turns into a giant, you know, cauldron of fire. <laughs> so, okay, uh, all right. So that's like the worst case scenario, okay? Unless you've got magic on your side and you can create antimatter and stuff like that. So, now there is a technique that that nobody's used yet uh, that I think would work really well. Um, and it's a, a technique for the defenders. And that is to create a whole bunch of articulated catapults on the underside of the platform with the purpose of hurling bombs or, you know, gas or explosive or whatever onto the top side. Oh. So they basically, as you were saying, they, they aim down, the arm hits the edge of the platform, it's got a joint there, it flips forward, and then the thing fly, the, 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 the cargo, you know, flies forward and inward toward, and then falls down onto the top of the platform. If you had, if basically, they were beating you and you had to retreat, then you could retreat to the underside platform and dish it out. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. You could do all sorts of stuff. You could do those fueler explosives. You could do burning pitch. Um, You got a whole 600-foot area to hold, you know, hold stuff to throw. (laughs) And you could line them all the way around the edge, depending upon how many people you had. You, you could just turn that top of that platform into fiery hell. Because you have your own air supply coming from the underside. And there's the gravity plane, so all that stuff is there. It's just upside down, but it's not going to fall. And right. you just crawl over the edge and around and set up the catapult. Boom. Yeah. Oh, wow. Just Yeah. yeah. So wow. you, you could literally just, just start, you know, raining, you know, just... Terror and destruction, you know, down on the top side, but you would only do it if you were abandoning the top side. And you'd only do it if you knew that they were really coming through because, you know, they, you don't want to do it and find out, oh, yeah, we, we, we waited you out. <laughs> you, you fired all that for nothing. <laughs> you know, as soon as we saw you running for the edge, we knew what you were going to do. So we all ran through the portals. We waited five minutes, came back out, and, uh, you know, <laughs> You get that's where you get that kind of cat and mouse where you go and say, "All right, well, yeah, we're gonna run over the side and start taking you out on the underside." You know, 
You know, or maybe we have an articulated one where we can start hurling it down the other side because it's only four foot thick, the platform. Yeah, that would be that would be something that would be planning on the defenders' part. Like, okay, we're you know, it's like okay, we're gonna go underneath. That would also involve some having some uh. Having one guy with, make sure everybody gets through and have one key, and as soon as he gets through, you lock all the attackers on that platform so they can't dive out, and then the people who dove under the platform rains holy hell on them. You could also use, you could also use it in a honeypot situation where you attracted people like, you know, like. Uh, pirates to a, a platform saying there's all this treasure and stuff like that. So, like, their things roll onto the platform, and you got your people hiding underneath, and all of a sudden it looks empty out here. There's no defenses. It looks great. You know, they all go over to where they think it's going to be, and you just start raining it down on that location where that portal is. Take them out. More guys come through. They say, happened. They all something bad happened to them. I don't know what happened to them. Let's go over and see what happened. Let's go over and see if we can figure it out. Do it again. <laughs> so yeah, that's that would work in a kind of a honeypot situation. Eventually, somebody would figure it out. Yeah. And uh, and then you and then you know I mean most tactics work like that work well. I mean they do work well because they say it's a fall. It can be a, a standard fallback tactic. Where you know that if you're losing, they fall back, and then this is going to happen, and they're going to they're going to try to get off the platform before they get rained on. But you know, if you brought vehicles through and things like that to fight your fight, you're not going to be able to get those things off the platform very quickly. And there's probably probably not before they they really start doing their counteroffensive. So. It's like I say. It's a it's a way of, of conducting war, and say the first time it happens, it's like you know, uh, Blitzkrieg worked because nobody was using that tech that tactic. The uh, the armored uh, you know phalanx kind of thing. Nobody you know that wasn't the way war had been conducted. They were expecting people to make these massive groups and then come crashing at each other. Instead, they just went roaring forward and just. Demolish things in their way, and, uh, uh, and 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 didn't worry. You know, armored divisions were just you know waiting through everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, that yeah, that's one of the things that people don't expect. So yeah, yeah. They they didn't have motorized combat like that before. So. Well, let's see. World War One. Yeah, there were tanks in World War One. It's World War Two where they really got right, but they didn't move very fast, and they moved in support of the troops. So they moved with the troops, and sometimes they moved ahead of the troops to take out machine gun nests and snipers and things like that. But you know, they they weren't, they weren't at a force of themselves. You know, and uh, and and see where the Red Ball Express in World War II was also attacking that had been done before, where they li- literally had these guys with these tanker, they weren't tankers, they were uh, cargo trucks, and they would literally just drive 60, 70, 100 miles from a depot up to the front lines, wherever the, 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 the tanks or whatever were fighting, deliver fuel, and then get themselves back, and then do it again. So they had an armor with vehicles 
operating way outside of their their operational range because they had this kind of support and all you know and they just had to make sure that the roads kept clear for those uh, tanks those those trucks to get through to maintain the war effort and because nobody had ever done it before nobody had a plan for doing that and it worked really effectively now of course you know you bring planes in you start firing on them and you know but it was uh you know that's uh, the 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 use of planes uh, machine guns was actually not against uh tanks and trucks and stuff it was actually against again those guys in the uh trenches you know who couldn't move around they were sitting ducks waiting to get shot by those planes so aerial combat against the ground was against troops not against armored vehicles or whatever they had little bombs for that even those were used primarily against the few fortifications that exist they weren't against stationary targets well as technology advanced world war one that was all trench warfare and then by what time world war ii came around you know full well trench warfare would have been useless yeah it definitely would have been i'm sure there was somebody who tried to do it and failed yeah, they did it once. Yeah, um, we, did we did we bring up about biological attacks and how to do them? No, on the go past? ahead. Okay, uh, are bio attacks and only damage equipment considered harmful by the fringe paths and eliminated? Um, if you throw like a grenade and it releases a, a toxin of some type or a, a weaponized virus. That's just a grenade. You're throwing an object, and then it goes all over. I would see no. The the it'd be just like any other grenade you throw through a portal onto a platform or whatever. Um, now we also and this is something Bruce and I discussed earlier that it just never came to mind for me. Now, as all of you longtime Fringeworthy fans know, let's say you get a disease on. A world some mutated tsetse fly who bites you or some mosquito and you get like hyper malaria or whatever and you go through the lens cleanse through your system now a question here does the biofilter work on pathway portals as well ones that connect to other pathways or just the planetary portals and Bruce brought up a good point let's say you did use one of these weaponized grenades and your nearest platform, your that your nearest portal was, let's say you're on an all platform, and your nearest portal was the one that leads to the prime, one of the other pathways or to you know the pathway heading toward the system. That anti, you know that biofilter, apparently it's on all portals, and it does make sense because chemical warfare can be brought on the fringe paths, and so. Just leaving that particular platform, you would get cleansed through. And I just never thought of that because usually the times where you have disease, for me, it just made, you know, just with everything I've learned, it was, yeah, you get a disease on some world from some environmental factor or from some creature or whatever. You go through the portal, you're fine. That's one of the reasons why Rogue 417 doesn't affect the Fringeworthy, because they can just go through the portal at um, Portsmouth, Ohio, and they're they're fine. Well, it also says they're immune. Yeah, I, that's what I chalked it up to as. Not so much as immunity, it's just they can go through the portal. 
Well, it actually says in, in the in the supplement they're cringeworthy due to a quirk in their biological nature are immune to immune to it because they're talking about they're talking about Earth primers. But yeah, I I it, Bruce and I talked about this before we started recording, and yeah, it would make sense that that would be across all plat all not nah, all portals because of somebody bringing chemical warfare because there's no filter as long as there was contained inside a grenade or what have you the 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 portal system wouldn't pick it up as a threat it's once that weaponized virus is out and about and it somebody contracts it then the virus would sense oh wait a minute there's been a a pathogen release we have to clean it from this person in order to keep them from bringing this path, this pathogen to other worlds, and I think that's why the biofilters were made. It was made as a way to keep diseases from getting spread throughout the new Commonwealth. We don't need pan. We don't need interdimensional. So we're going to set this up here. Right. I mean, these guys are engineers. They're not biologists. So you know, you just clean. You just clean them as they come through, and they never know it happened. And they would so they would put it on all portals and just yeah because I always thought of the main way of weapon tra- uh, um, viral and bacterial transmission would be on a planet that it just never occurred to me that you know germ warfare could be part of the fringe pad. So again, been doing this for almost twelve years and still learning too. Now you can bring those kinds of weaponized to a world and use them on the world because you can freeze them below the point where the fringe pass considers them to be alive. At which point you can then and you can thaw them out on the world and then use them. So at which point biological weapons can be used on a world, uh, they, but they can't be used on the fringe paths themselves. You know because they would if they were active because they would. Well, first of all, it'd be pointless because okay, let's say you bring a platform, you worm it up, you throw it on people, unless it instantly kills them. And and patholo- pathogens don't do that. Okay, that's what poisons are for. <laughs> okay, you get somebody sick, they go through a portal, it cleans them out, they're fine. So what was the point of that? Here, here's the thing about, okay, bioattacks. I feared that because you couldn't do any type of electrical, you know, electronic method to, oh, yes, well, we're turning this into a, it's in stasis, and once you throw it, it's out of state. No. You have to have some type of canister that would be open like, a grenade and it would spray out like a gas grenade. It would have to work like that. But I didn't think that if you just had a gas grenade full of this this weaponized virus that it would be cleaned out by the biofilters. No, it won't. It'll get it'll be get carried underneath and and, and evacuated and cleared then going through the normal air filtration. Yeah, that's what I mean. But I'm saying if some if you infected somebody on the platform by spraying this at them, it would be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm now infected, so I'll go through the pathway portal or through a world portal at the end of the battle, and I'll be cured. It's not going to kill me during the battle, unless it's a, a battle that's going to last for days by some reason, and I don't see how being on the fringe path, you're going. that's going to happen. I mean, I guess it... You, if you chase people underneath the underside of the platform up and gave them diseases, then I guess they could die in a couple of days. Well, because all diseases take an incubation time. It's like with, 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 with the coronavirus, 
Yeah, it's anywhere from, what, 5 to 14 days? So, yeah, it, it, you're not going to instantly die from a disease. But if you were to infect an area and drive, use armed forces, guys in, you know, hazmat suits to post people at bay, then, yeah, you, if you're willing to wait days for a virus to kick in and do that, and just, you know, have guards on the platform, anybody tries coming up, you shoot them and they stay there, they're going to be dead one way or another. Either, you know, they're going to be, you know, malnourished, dehydrated, or the virus will get them. So, yeah, that's just a matter of playing a long game. But here's the thing. I always thought that if the gas, if the weaponized virus was gas in a, in a canister, you bringing it through a portal is not going to negate it in that canister. It's not going to, oh, it's inert now. Okay, yeah, that, that's why I was getting some ambiguity there with this discussion. Okay, all right. Well, okay, okay, no, if it's a if it's a live active disease and the system knows that there are people on the other side of, of the of the portal that are can be hurt by it, yeah, it'll 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 um, it'll get rid of it. Then there's no then there's no real way to do bio attacks on the fringe paths because in order to bring it on, it would get negated instantly. Well, unless you froze it. No, you freeze it down to below negative 200 degrees centigrade, in which case the system doesn't see it as being alive, and then you get on the other side of the portal, and you, whether it's on the platform or whether it's on the world, and then you out, and it becomes active, and then you, the system doesn't eliminate it. This is not going to be, oh, I'm going to take this weaponized vial of uh, whatever virus and just walk through the portal and then throw it in the middle of the platform and let it circulate no okay right now now the the actual question that you're looking at they were asking what if it only affects non-living things what if it's like a metal eater or a plastic eater so like some sort of weaponized extremophile well let's say we're talking about an infinite universe here okay yeah yeah and there was a whole book called uh virus something something the plastic eater, it, you know, came out a, a long time ago, and and it, there everything that ha- was was plastic based was basically getting eroded. What it wasn't destroyed instantly; it was just getting eroded. And in the uh, in the battle for Earth Prime, one of the things they did was use a virus that actually ate through, uh, you know, the well damaged the uh, uh, the pirates' uh, uh, mechanized vehicles. They didn't realize it. it took like they basically they used went out to negotiate, they released it, and then they left, and they came back a couple days later and had a battle with them, and their machines were basically falling apart at that point. And the, the pirates left because they were losing. Their, their armor was no good, and, and their weapons were disintegrating in their hands. And it was like, we, we got to retreat and, and, and get replacements or something. And that's, that, was, that was the main way they were able to, uh, in that particular scenario where we're able to get rid of the pirates was because you know they destroyed the things they were using to hold the platform their armored force okay so yeah there's such things and so the question was is the fringe system going to say well this destroys material objects that are not living and even though they might belong to people on the other side it attacked that and the answer and I say the answer is no. Yeah, same here. We agree there. Yeah, that's yeah, like okay. Yeah. That's just some. That's just some chemical. My my only 
the only argument I could see that they might would be like if like one of the old Commonwealth worlds had a high like cyborg or robot like sentient robot population. But we know that the Termelon themselves were experts of artificial like bioroid technology. So Yeah, they hard tech remember hard tech was only a way for a Termelon to get past yeah. um a plateau so they, when biotech wasn't working. Oh, we'll use this hard tech workaround, and we're back to biotech. They could do yeah, hard so tech; they, they would, just prefer bio. Yeah. So yeah, more than likely, any major Commonwealth world that joined them, they would show them, "Hey, you can build your robots out of fish. Here, let me show you." Yeah. So I yeah I don't see that yeah any like any metal eating extremophile or anything like that. Yeah, they'd probably let that through. I mean, it's not going to eat the Termelon. Uh, would the fridge system protect Terminators if they were covered with living human flesh? Mm, that is a good question. Yeah, but see, it's still a computer. It's still a heuristic, hard-tech computer brain. But it's AI. It's intelligent. It's an AI. It doesn't matter. It's still not techno-organic or biological. All that's biological is the covering. Therefore, it... Are you saying that that, that uh, AI robots can't be uh, fringeworthy? No, not really. They're not. It, it, it's it's still yeah. hard tech. If they were biological, if they were basically just biological androids, maybe they could be attuned. I think still fringeworthy is, you know, you'd have to attune them by, you know, okay, you've made this biological android. It's AI. It's all techno-organic, so it's considered biological matter. Would that thing have a quantum signature? If not, you would have to attune it via a key. If it were totally biological or techno-organic, yeah, it could go around on the fringe pads if it was attuned. Well, this is why I have always said that it's an energy signature. It's not some kind of weird genetic thing. Junk DNA, like Rich was saying. Yeah, I really, we, yeah. we... Right, because if you do that, then you basically eliminate the possibility of intelligent robots being fringeworthy. But yeah, still, quantum signature still, I see as like part of, like, I don't know, a living being's electrical field or something. I, I wouldn't see that as something you could give artificial hard tech life. Like a Terminator, all that is is a vat-grown flesh covering. It is still an endoskeleton with a computer, hard tech computer brain. As soon as, you know, Arnold, as the term steps through, he goes, I'll be back, steps through that portal. He's going to clatter to that ramp on the platform, depleted of energy. His battery will be draining just new. Which I'm sure it's probably a mini fusion reactor that runs that robot. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. And we all and we all know what happens to nuclear material once it goes through a fringe portal. So yeah, Arnold yeah. Arnold would just go. No, that, that's a, that's an entirely different question, but and, and you're fine for bringing it up. Yes, you know, Terminators wouldn't Terminators would would just start clattering down the ramp off the fringe path. Exactly. Yeah. They would be deactivated as soon as they went. You're, you're right about that. Okay. All right. I'm just having I'm just having images of like their flesh coming through, but not the endoskeletons. Oh, dude, that's just nasty. Stop. <laughs> I know. Stop. I know. Like the flesh is fringeworthy, but the robot itself is not. 
dude, that's me- that's messed up. Just let you know. The robots didn't care about that. <laughs> they they lost their flesh many yeah, times. That's in messed movies. up. Oh, yeah. But I mean, if, if you if you were a totally you know like say they you are a uh, a total artificial life form in the sense that you didn't have flesh. It was all biological, not biological. It was all chemical reactions. Uh, you know, uh, with some kind of method of propagation of of, of nervous, you know, n- uh, neural impulses. Okay, but it was still not like living flesh. Uh, that you were still essentially considered a construct. Uh, then. Um, yeah, uh, it's 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 that's just little. I think that's probably too obscure a reference. I, I'll just let the GMs fight about that in the con suites. And I, I was imagining when I first got involved with Fringeworthy that we'd be arguing about this sort of thing in the hours of the night at cons. I, I really wish that had happened. That would have been so much fun. <laughs> well, what about a tur- what about the T? You know, the T two. You know, <laughs> you know the the liquid one. You know. Ah uh, yeah, LMG. Yeah, liquid metal guy. Yeah, is it still electri- electri- electrically based? You know, so I would say yeah. That's almost that would almost be like a nano ooze, where therefore you'd have microscopic and yeah, they just shift and it looks liquid. Yeah, we know you. That would try to go through a fringe portal. Just bleh, it'd be a puddle. It'd be a puddle at the bottom of the ramp. <laughs> it would splash Whoa. down the ramp in her. Yeah, with all the fleshes that made it through. So if you're going through a portal and you're going to attack somebody on the platform, okay, I mean, once you've done your initial spray, you know, napalm through, let's throw bombs, let's throw gas into the center and stuff like that. When you go through, it's really important that you go through both directions so that you essentially run you have at least a couple of people that run over to the edge of the platform preferably not directly to the edge of the platform because that's where I put all my defenses on the other side but maybe at an angle and just go over peek over the side see if anything's been there there is defenses on the underside of that because it's going to be important for you to know that <laughs> and then you can turn around and either run back up into the portal and onto the world and tell them that you know or uh, you can, you know, yell to your the the, the uh, uh, your offensive force that's going to attack them. That yeah, they, you know, watch your back. They've got you know a whole array of of uh, of, of bomb lobbers on the other side of the platform. At which point, or you know, you might want to you know stick it to the edge and throw some grenades and stuff over on that side because you know to create at least a space. You know, clear the area around you, the portal, you know, uh, so if you have to retreat, you're not getting, you know, wailed on by, uh, you know, by defenders who are literally like 20 feet away, <laughs> just on the other side of the platform, on the other side. So uh, that was the only other thing I, I thought about, about that, you know. Now, you always can have a reserve force that's gone way up, you know, flying up, you know, in the zero gravity air, you know, just in case the worst case, you know, they're basically the ones that come back, especially like the flying thing, you know, they come back if, if ever, if, if they lose on this side. Okay. And they basically try to, you know, um, you know, it's, it's a poison bomb. Basically you come and you just try to take out the defenders after they think they've won. 
Okay, you can do that because you can go quite some distance. You know, ten thousand. You can go ten thousand feet up. Okay, and uh, you know, uh, and the air is going to get a little thin. But ten thousand feet, you really in that darkness, you won't be able to see them up there. You know, waiting. You know, and they could be peering down on the platform, checking out. And this would, like I said, this would be your poison pill time kind of last ditch response. And they could deliver whatever. Uh, weaponry, munitions, ordnance, whatever they de you decided to do in the case of everything losing. And also, it, all, it gives you some people who can uh, try to turn back to you know, your side that we, this, we lost and this is why. This was, their, this was their methodology. This was their tactics. This is what they did. And uh, and you can do that by people wearing squirrel suits, okay? Because what they do is that they dive bomb down with the squirrel suits, they fly through one of those pathway portals, and then whip down to the underside of the roadway far down, you know, and then you know, glide, you know, uh, and then glide by way. It's going to be hard for them to be chased, you know, the, I mean, the, the the defenders may try to chase them down the fringe paths, but because they can go in at high speeds, cross the fringe path, get to the other side, and then exhaust their momentum, and then go back into the uh, gravity area over the fringe path, and then accelerate down again, and just keep doing this in a loop fashion around and around, you know, uh, the port you know, runway until they get to the next portal. You know, now. I mean, if they're really defended for it, you know, the smart thing to do would be to run because it's going to take them longer to get to the other side than then to just hop in a vehicle, go really fast down to the next portal and, uh, and, and maybe uh, and stop them there before they can come out. But if that is, if the guys, if the, you know, are on the other side, then you're going to have to fight them and you may not be ready to fight them because you just had a big battle back so it's one way of taking uh, military knowledge, military intelligence, to your side about how the battle went and, and uh, so that they can make better plans for defeating their enemy the next time. Maybe learn a few secrets of the fringe paths that they didn't know about. So that's the last thing I, I thought about as far as this warfare is concerned. You guys got anything else? No, no, we. I think we did cover everything. Yeah, I really, did, I really did like the idea of uh, waiting until uh, if you're on the fringe paths and you're actually trying to take another platform, waiting till fringe weather passes you by and following the fringe weather down the pathway and using it to soften up before you come through and and uh, and do your uh, uh, do your attacks. Oh yeah, because uh, it's will certainly be a disadvantage on their side if they're getting the fringe weather and far enough behind it that you 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 haven't suffered from it, or you've already recovered from it. So you know, especially things like electrical storms, or you know those those rainstorms that are like, you know, downpours, nobody can see anything, you know, or even worse, um, some of the memory storms where you literally think you're another creature you're you know you like i'm in a school of fish I'm swimming around and this is nice and after it's all over with 
There's all these guys here. These, 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 uh, 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 this, uh, this, Offensive forces now have us totally caught with our pants down, and we just okay. We give up. <laughs> we're not re- we're not quite sure how to work these weapons, anyways, with our fins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that could be that could be very useful. So yeah. How do fingers again? What are those things? Yeah. Yeah, right. Fingers. And how do I speak? You know, when you know through my gills. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always figured that, uh, you know, the first thing that would happen after you had that kind of an experience would be you'd be like, but I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I can't force the air out through my neck. You know, and then you and then you suddenly realize that I don't have to do that way. I can just breathe it back out through my mouth and it works. That's crazy talk. So anyways, yeah, that's that would be you can imagine this, uh, the 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 loss of mental stability from going through that kind of experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. That totally different mindset would just throw you off, and yeah, you. And remember that there's never been a war, uh, a battle yet where there was a obvious um, offensive advantage on one side over the other. You always break and run before that's clear. Somebody lose one side or the other loses morale, and they and they and they retreat. That's that's how it's always been. It's because of the fog of war. You know, and other things like that. They, there's never been a as far as I know, a situation where there's been a clear cut offensive advantage on one side or the other, and they just retreat because it was obvious they couldn't win. They thought they were losing. They thought they couldn't win. And so I had that at that sort of a situation, you would be so demoralized you wouldn't think you could win, and you just surrender or at least try to retreat. So. Psychological warfare. It's great if you it's great if you can use it. Yeah, that's another topic. Right. Well, we're over the two hour mark, so I think we should stop. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everybody for going with us through this another uh, episode of simulated carnage on a simulated uh, fanciful environment called the Fringe Pass. We hope you've learned a little bit about actual uh, historical combat. And we hope you'll uh, play Fringeworthy if you haven't played it before, because as you see, it's you're not in Kansas anymore when you're 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 playing. Oh, no, no, and no, yes, no. monkeys do come out of your butt. So, <laughs> so uh, you play a game where you can really use your imagination and do things that you never could ever do in another game, uh, because that's what Fringeworthy is all about. It is the most original and uh, and creatively awesome game that I've ever experienced, and I hope you get a chance to enjoy it. And if you have, I hope you keep playing it. And let us know about your uh, forays uh, on the fringe paths and whether you lived or survived any news uh, tricks that we didn't even know about. Uh, please leave a message on our Facebook uh, fans of uh, Gaming on the Frontier uh, or on our uh our Podbean site, or you can email any of us. Uh, we'd be glad to hear from you. Or the uh, Fringe for the RPG Fans group on Facebook as well. Yes, I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. Yes, yes. yes. Fringe, fan, uh, uh, Fringe worthy fans. Yes, please uh, check that out too. Lots of good people there. All right, thanks again for playing in your minds, and we'll have more crazy ideas like this to talk about, but you're going to have to wait. Until next week. So until then. 
This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.